I want to welcome you this morning to Faith Community Church. If you're a guest with us for the first time, we want to invite you to fill out that connection card that would be in front of you. Following the service, I'd love to meet you at the welcome desk. We have a gift for you, a welcome packet, and uh, information just about the ministries that are happening here at Faith. We want to encourage you to get involved, and thank you for being a part of our service today. Also, if anybody has any prayer requests that you'd like leadership praying for this week, on that connection card, you can fill those prayer requests out and uh, place those in the offering on its way by, or uh, you can also hand that to me back at the welcome desk. And we want to just, first off, be thankful to the Lord for some warmer weather, huh? Yeah. Yes. And so at that point, I just, it was nice being able to, I didn't go out without a coat today. I was able to just throw on a stocking cap. It felt great. And uh, I hope you felt the same way. And at this point, I ask that you'd stand this morning as we worship together. I'm going to read from God's Word. I'm going to read our psalm for today, which is Psalm chapter 29. The Bible says, Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for His glory and His strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. And he makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, glory. Now with me for a second, just say that. Glory. Think about that. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength and he blesses them with peace one thing I want you to pull from this passage is the Lord's voice has such power, and we want him to speak today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through us together as a body. We pray, Father, that you would be speaking to us today as the word is presented, as we worship together, especially in communion and having that time here at the altar in which we pray and reflect and, and submit, Lord. We want to worship today, and we ask for your blessing, for your anointing over this service, and we lift all this to you. We want to glorify Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, we recognize today that in the midst of this church, you walk among us. Father, your word declares that in your church, you come in, your very presence is here this morning. You have already observed what has been happening. You have watched us as we have worshiped you, as we've come to these altars to recognize communion. Father, I pray that again, your presence will follow us into the word as we open the word and rightly divide this word of truth. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, may the mighty work of God also mightily work in individual lives and hearts. Father, open our hearts to this word. Let this word penetrate 
into the very soul and heart of every person in our church. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of the Revelation chapter 2. This is the uh, third part of our series here on the seven churches of the Revelation. If you remember, the mailman, the letter carrier, has already brought a letter to the church that was at Ephesus. A church that sadly had so many things going for it and, and wonderful things occurring in that church. And yet the, the, the word from the Lord of the church was strong and powerful. It, it hit hard. And it was a word that says you have left your first love. We've talked about that. The second church was a church at Smyrna. Not a big church or anything like that, and yet it was a church that was under the intensity of persecution. Hard things were happening. Difficulty was a part of their lives, and, and they worshipped. I, I think of the church of Smyrna, and I relate it to the church that must be meeting right now in places like Iran, places like North Korea. There is no way they could have sung that last song in any of those places without police and military surrounding the place and arresting people and jailing and imprisoning people, destroying the property and more. It's happening also in China today and other places in the world. I'm telling you, friends, I'm not exactly sure how long it will last here. But today we worship God. We, with our full voice, Shout out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we mean it from the depth of our soul and the bottom of our heart. And so the mailman comes to Pergamos. And it is a church of compromise. And we're going to march into that, walk into it a little bit this morning. In the mid-1970s, a large portion of the land in northern, uh, uh, northern Australia belonged to a superstitious group of people that we just sort of normally refer to as Aborigines. It was somewhat of a peculiar land because it had a very large population of green ants. I know that sounds a little on the odd side. They were green and they were ants. That's about all we know about them. And the Aborigines believed them to be sacred. And they were descendants of their pagan gods. A mining company discovered large deposits of uranium in that uh, particular region. And they approached the Aborigines about purchasing this land. However, they wouldn't budge. If you destroy, if you destroy the land of our sacred green ants... Our gods will pronounce a curse on us and we'll have drought and famine. And so the mining company persisted and in 1974, a large tract of land was sold to the mining company for $8.3 million. And you know what changed their minds? It's real simple. What changed their minds was $8.3 million. 
And with also this, their gods can find another place to live. That's what they said. Their gods can just find another place to live. Well, I, I realize that that may sound a bit humorous this morning, but it does raise the question, what about my convictions? What about your convictions? Are they for sale? Is there a price out there that somebody could offer you that you, you would consider selling all or part of your convictions? That's not such an outlandish question as you might think. Because people have sold their convictions for far, far less than $8 million. I think of Samson laying in the lap of Delilah. Sold his convictions fairly quick. For a little romp with his girlfriend. But it cost him his life. Whenever I use the term worldliness, <clears throat> I sometimes wonder if people look at that as some kind of a quaint, sort of an old-fashioned type of a term that we associate it with prohibitions about going to movies or dancing or playing cards or many other things like that. And, and the truth of the matter in our user-friendly church and our market-savvy kind of a church that's market-driven, we don't preach about worldliness because that might drive people off. And people want, to, people want to be patted on the back. People want to feel good when I leave church. I don't, I don't want to feel rotten. I, I want to feel good. And so we shy away from those things. And, and uh, let me tell you something. That is a very real pressure in, in my life and in Pastor Russ's life, Pastor Ra Lance or Pastor Paul. There is a pressure on. Don't kid yourself. Let's cause people to smile. They'll like us. But if I speak about their favorite sin, they're not going to like us. And we won't be in their favor. We need to understand a fundamental truth. Worldliness is serious. It does have an impact on the eternal. Paul made it clear in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says it this way, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your minds, that mind, that you may prove what the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. That sums up what it means to live in grace. We live under the direction and the shadow of God's hand and walk in the abundance of his grace. And when I do that, when you do that, and when we all do that as a church, we find that our light shines oh so bright. Nothing dulls it. It is wonderful, and it becomes a brilliance. In chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says to the angel of the church in Pergamos, so he's delivering, the, the postman comes and delivers this letter to the pastor of the church and its correspondence from the Lord himself. This is not junk mail, folks. This isn't, doesn't say resident. Please open and read or any of the other thing. But note his description. The Bible says these things. He says to the one with a sharp two-edged sword. Now let's, let's look at this just for a second here. Take a moment here to take a look at this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 helps us on this. 
It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So what does Jesus have in his mouth? He has the word of God, the sharpness of a two-edged sword. Back in the first chapter of Revelation, the Bible says this here in verse 16. It says, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength, a two-edged sword. In other words, God does not, Jesus Christ does not come into the midst of a church and say, I'm going to judge this church and evaluate this church based on the music. He's not going to come in and judge the place based on the, the, the building or anything else. He's not going to come and judge our place based on how many programs we've got going. He is going to come into this church and bring his judgment based on what we do with the word of God. Don't ever let that escape your mind. The judgment is against the word of God. Is, I should say is with the word of God. What I do, how I think, how I act, how I respond. And we, we migrate that into the life of the church too. In the same way, it is with the word of God. And that's very important. Pergamos was beginning to forget that. And so they get a letter from the Lord of the church. This is not a happy introduction here. It does not hold a promise at all. This is a church that was in serious danger and compromise was the issue. Now granted, there were some real believers. They stood for sound doctrine, a solid biblical walk of life, but there is also compromise and some had returned to their old pagan habits, their old pagan lifestyles. They showed up at church on Sunday morning but they were involved in other things, which the Lord of the church says, I'm going to bring a judgment against that. You take a brief look at church history, and I've studied a lot of church history in my day. From the time this letter was written until AD 600, you'll find that the early church married the world, married it very early. That's why, that's why uh, John is writing, this is 95 AD here. And I'd say about 250, 300 years later, Constantine was ruling the world, and he says, this Christianity thing is really good. Everybody's a Christian. No more pagans. Everybody's going to be a Christian. That was the worst thing that could happen. What they did, they converted pagan temples into churches. Pagan priests now became the priests of those churches. And they carried forward all of the practices Christianity lost in all of this and the dominant time in church, it got worse after that. Until we get up to the day of Lutheran, by the way, they were selling, you could, Lance, if you really messed up, you could bring in a pretty good chunk of change and forgiven. Nice, nice. I'd go broke, but I, you know. We probably have bankruptcy sales in the church today. But um, I, I, I hope, according to that clock, I have seven minutes left, so I better not burn them. But I am going to burn them on a couple things because I'm burned up. This church grew out of a 
church that was drifting far, far away from God's word. Don't ever forget that. That was a generation ago. Don't ever forget that. John is writing to the second and third generation now. And problems are arising. This was a church. You were a part of a church. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. That made a decision. We're not going to. This is not the word of God. And out the door you went. And God bless you for doing it. That took some courage. Took some faith. I heard an advertisement just this week on the radio of a youth group in this area raising money so that their kids could go to the Lutheran convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota this summer and join 30,000. I said, oh God, I hope that fails. Last summer's meeting in Houston, Texas, the keynote speaker was a woman named Nadia Weber Bolts. Look her up on the website. I can't even say the words in this place that she used. That's one of their ministers. Somebody will come up and wrap my knuckles on this, but I really don't care. I'm sick of it. The Church of Charles and John Wesley, George Whitfield, its fate's being decided in the next few days. And it appears by all of the things that are going on that they're going to take a route far, far away from this book. We should pray for that church. It's a great church. But they're losing their, they've lost themselves. When you get away from this book, you've lost yourself. LifeGate Fellowship, this week, we start our midweek Bible study on the first and third Wednesdays. You know why we're doing that? I've had people come up to me and say, this is my Bible. I got it when I got confirmed, and I haven't opened it since because the pastor said, I don't need to read it. He'll tell you what you need to know. That's ridiculous. We're going to open the book, and we're going to get into it, and we're going to dig through it and find out what God is saying to his people. And I know they're going to love what he says. Okay, I've got six minutes. How did you mean that when you said praise the Lord? <laughs> you know, you've got to ask those questions. There's a lot hanging on this, Pastor Paul. <clears throat> I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's Revelation chapter 2. Okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it here. I want you to, I just want to talk about a few things, and I, I don't, I, I do want to respect our time and things like that. But verse 13 says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Isn't that interesting? God says, look, I'm going to establish this church right in the middle of the devil's outpost, right where he operates. I'm going to plant a church. 
and there's going to be some believers in there, and there's going to be some people in there that love me, that love God, that love Jesus, that are going to do everything they can to spread the word, and they did. And they did many of these things. One of their pastors, a guy named Antipas, he's in your book. They, they had enough of this spread your word and be a real Christian in front of everybody. And so they took him and they uh, drug him out and they had one of their quickie trials and decided to get rid of this guy. And so they built themselves a golden calf. But it was big enough they could put Antipas inside. And then they took it over to a bonfire that they built and barbecued him. What a way to die. He died for his faith and his name is right there in verse 13. He died for his faith. What about our values? Where have our values gone? My spirit is stirred, dear saints. How would you feel if you lived in the state of New York and your governor just signed a bill that said, that baby that was born at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we could legally kill it at 259. That's what the bill says. And at the signing, we have people laughing. We have people smiling. How happy we are that we have decided to murder children. Legally. Legally. I came across a thought here which simply says this, and gradually no one remembers exactly how it happened. The unthinkable becomes the tolerable. And the tolerable becomes the acceptable. And then it becomes legal. And we applaud it. Mother Teresa said, when a nation begins to destroy its children, it is a nation that has lost its soul. Now people, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But I read prophetic word. And you read it too. God does not, is not blind on this. I'm asking the question, and I keep asking almost every day, of the 62 million children that were murdered in their mother's womb, which one of those kids, which one of those kids was so gifted that found the key to defeating cancer. Which one of those kids was so gifted to find the key that would defeat this horrible disease of Alzheimer's? Which one? This is what happens when compromise gains a leg. In his letter, Jesus talked about Balaam, talked about Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, also the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Let me run these two together. They're very similar. It goes way, way back into the book of Numbers. Israel was up against some people, and these people didn't like him. I think it was the Moabites. And they couldn't defeat him. They hired a prophet. Right there, just that sticks in my craw. They hired this prophet to uh, do a curse against Israel. He wouldn't do it. 
He says, well, I got something better. I got a new idea. Uh, we'll get these uh, pagan Moabite girls and have them marry our Israel sons over here. And what happened was they did that. And then those gals, after their marriage, drew those men over into pagan worship, and they were defeated. That's, that's a very, very short, simple thing. Pergamos had a core of people, though, that loved God. And I'm going to tell you what, in every church, and I don't care how bad it is, there is always going to be a remnant. There will be a core. It may be a handful. It may be two people. But I guarantee you there will be a core, a very small core, of people that know how to love God. And they do. He says, to you I'm going to give the hidden manna. I believe that represents Christ and what he does for us. He says, I'm going to give you a white stone with your name upon it. In those days when judgments were passed, a white stone was passed all. Also said, this is an acquittal. I am acquitted of my sin. Ladies and gentlemen, if you love Jesus Christ this morning, you have a white stone, and that stone has your name upon it. Why? Because you've been acquitted of your sin. Think of that. I was acquitted. I was heading for judgment. You were too. It was a judgment that would never end, and I'm acquitted. And now I have a place in eternity that will also never end, but it's called paradise. And it's called the place where Jesus is. Matthew chapter 8, and then I'm going to stop. Matthew chapter 8. Turn there real quick with me. In Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says here in verse 20, Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship here and how expensive it is. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. He saw the great multitude, and they were, they were always around him. But they were around him mainly because he was healing them and feeding them and doing a lot of other things. But when it got right down to it, that crowd dis dissipated. And not many left. And Jesus said this in verse uh, 20. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Let me tell you something, and I'm, this is how I read this. And I'm going to tell you, God made holes for foxes. He made nests for birds. But you and I are not birds and foxes. We are, the, we are the, the humanity that God created in his image. We do not belong here. We simply do not belong here. This is not my home. This is not my home. You weren't made for this world. You were made for heaven. Made for heaven. And today we respond to Jesus without excuse. Donnelly, would you come back, please, if you would? Let me tell you something. I, I just, uh, I, God's been laying some stuff on my heart. I'll tell you what. I'm not here to date Jesus. My date doesn't begin on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and wind up at 11.15. I'm here to live for Christ. And when I read this word about that letter to Pergamos, I see a church largely that says we're going to come in and date Jesus. 
we're going to get our little Jesus fix on Sunday morning and we're going to walk out and we're going to do our thing. We're going to act however we want. We're going to say what we want. We're going to respond to the world and whatever we want. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants all of us. Every bit, every ounce, every portion of the fabric of our being. You can't simply become a casual Christian. There is no such thing. I tell you, I confess to you this morning, there's been times I feel like I've given the invitation for people to find Christ, to discover the riches of his, of his salvation, of his forgiveness. And I confess to you this morning that I feel there have been times when I'm not said, this requires repentance. I think I say it a lot, but I know I've... I've glossed over it. I've got to turn my back on the wickedness of my life. The wickedness. And go in a direction to God. And for the last 40 some years of my life, this has been my pathway, the direction to God. And I'm going to confess also, sometimes it weaves around. It hasn't been a straight line, that's for sure. But we try to straighten it out as we go. We try to get it right. This week I'm going to do better, Pastor Lance. I'm going to be a better pastor. I want to be a better student of the word. I want to get this thing into my spirit deeper and deeper. Let it penetrate. Let it seep in. Let it really make a mark in my life. I, that's what I want. That's what God wants. I'm not just here to date God on Sunday morning. And when the date's over, just do my thing. That's not what I'm here for. And neither are you. The things that you value, you also love, you also serve. Those are the things that, when you love something, you serve it. I love Joan. I, I'm happy to serve her. I warned you in the car on the way over. <laughs> Don't say anything. Stand with me. I'm, I'm digging a hole now. God bless you, saints. Let's dig into God this week like never before. Let's dig in into the word. Let's dig into seasons of prayer. I don't care if it's time when you sit out there in the car warming it up on 20 below. It takes about 15, 20 minutes at least. Get in some prayer. Get in some prayer. Get into the word. Get into godly conversations with, with people that, that you know have a habit of just kind of building you up. Do that too. Do godly things. Do stuff that maybe you normally do and you sort of have that catch in your spirit and say, no, 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 no. This needs to change. This needs to be adjusted. Amen? Let's do that. That's going to make a difference. Lift your hands for the blessing of God. Father, 
May the Lord bless and keep these saints of God. Father, cause them to fall in love with you all over again. Fresh love, new love. Father, I pray that you'll help us to do some self-examination. Is there an area of compromise? Is there an area that I've just sort of shaded the truth in? Is there an area that I just, uh, I, need, I need to make changes? Father, create in that in our hearts, in our lives. Let the blessing of God flow like a river in people's lives in special ways. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.